G'day, Nigel Moore from the Tech Tribe here, and as you can probably tell from the accent, also from Australia. So I've stolen the microphone from my good friend Richard Tubb and taken over the beginning and end of his podcast to blatantly promote our Tech Tribe. But don't worry, I'm not going to bore you to death with endless details on the features of our product or the technical mumbo jumbo or how long I've been in the industry or blah, blah, blah. Instead, I'll offer you a quick bribe. If you hang around until the end of the episode, which knowing Richard is no doubt going to be a cracker, then I'll let you know some stuff about our tribe and I'll give you some details on a special tub talk only deal complete with steak knives. Well, uh, maybe not the snake knives, but for now, enjoy the heck out of the episode and I'll be back at the end. You're listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners with our featured conversation with Richard Tubb and author and speaker Bob Berg. My name is Jeff Nicholson, and this podcast is all about helping you grow your IT business. In this episode, Richard talks with Bob Berg, Hall of Fame keynote speaker and best-selling co-author of the Go-Giver series. For the past 25 years, he's been helping people to shift their focus from getting to and consistently giving value to others. What you'll hear, the philosophy of the Go-Giver, Bob's new book, The Go-Giver Influencer, his advice on saying no gracefully and how to deal with difficult situations. This episode was recorded between Richard at home in Newcastle-Pontine and Bob in Jupiter, Florida. And now, without further ado, here's Richard Tubb talking with Bob Berg. Hi, folks. Richard Tubb here, and I'm joined today by one of my all-time business heroes. I'm so excited for this. Bob Berg is a Hall of Fame keynote speaker and the best-selling co-author of the book The Go-Giver, now a series of successful books. The message of The Go-Giver is shifting your focus from getting to giving constantly and consistently providing value to others. Now, when I read the book many years ago now, it had a life-changing effect on me. And Bob's work has profoundly influenced me both professionally and personally ever since. It's an absolute thrill to have you on the show today. Bob, thanks for joining us. Well, Richard, thank you. It's been uh, a great. I feel like we're, we're longtime friends. We've known each other for so long, even though this is the first time we've actually ever, I think, spoken in, in person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking just before we came on air. I think the first time I ever saw you speak was um, I used to be part of a peer group called HTG right. and right. You, uh, Arlen Sorensen, a great mutual friend mm-hmm. of both of ours, mm-hmm. and Arlen introduced me to your work and it's had such an impact ever since. Mm-hmm. Thanks for thank joining you. me today. So, Bob, you and the Go-Giver philosophy are, if not the biggest influence on my uh, personal professional life, certainly one of the most major influences. And I, in turn, have shared your teachings with clients, friends, family. Frankly, Bob, I'll be honest, anybody will listen. Um, Wow. For anybody who isn't aware, though, of the Go-Giver book and the Go-Giver philosophy, how would you describe it to them? Yeah, well, the book itself is is in in three of the four books in the series are parables, co-authored with John David Mann, who's just a fantastic writer and storyteller. I'm I'm much more of a how-to guy. Fortunately, John is a magnificent uh, storyteller, uh, which which makes the books interesting. But the the um, basic premise, Richard, is really nothing more that than that shifting one's focus, and this is really what's so key: uh, shifting one's focus from getting to giving. Giving in this context, simply meaning constantly and consistently providing value to others, is not only a a, a pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. So it's not just a, you know, a feel-good, nicey-nice theory. It's, It's very practical uh, for for the simple reason that you know human nature dictates that no one's going to buy from you or do business with you because you have a quota to meet or because you need the money or even because you really believe in your product or service and so forth no they're going to buy from you they're going to do business with you they're going to want to be a part of your life because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so what this does is it, it creates the um, context that the entrepreneur, the salesperson, what have you, has got to put their focus on the right place, and that is serving the other person. 
Because when we do this and we do this genuinely and authentically uh, with a desire to bring them immense value far above what we're even charging, now this person feels great about us. They, they know us, they like us, they trust us, they want to do business with us. And that's, what, that's why we say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning, which means the value must come first. That's the focus. And then the, uh, you know, the money you receive is a very direct and, and natural result of the value you provide. Mm. Now, as I said, uh, the go-giver philosophy, and I'm going to call it philosophy because this is not a tool, this is not a tactic, is it, that we, uh, mm -hmm. we use to get something. This is a philosophy, right. I would say. Would you agree right. with that? Or Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah, so the go-giver philosophy, it, it's, you've just done a very good job of explaining it. Um, but when I talk to people in business about this, they say, that, that sounds well and good, but I hear phrases such as nice guys finish last and, uh, you know, uh, business is a, a dog-eat-dog -dog industry and, and so on and so forth. How would you explain the impact you've seen for business owners who have implemented the go-giver philosophy? Sure. Well, there's there's nothing about being a go giver that says that one should ever be anybody's doormat or be a martyr or be self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not. If you're, you know, doing things so that if you find yourself constantly being taken advantage of, uh, it's not because you're nice or because you're a go giver. It's because you're doing things in such a way that you allow yourself to be taken advantage of. So when you think about it and it, it kind of goes back to that question well you know that's not again that's nice in theory you know focus on them but i need the money now and and business is about well do people want to do business with people who they think are going to cut their throat do people want to do business with people who are are only focused on getting their money as opposed to providing value. So no, in a, in a free market-based environment where, and when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else, okay? Uh, the only way, the only way you can do well in business is through serving others. Otherwise, why would they do business with you? So just on a logical sense, you know, I mean, it, it makes sense to focus on the other person. Uh, profit is simply a reward for serving another human being. What is selling? Selling is discovering what the other person wants, needs, and desires and helping them to get it. So when people say things like business is doggy dog, well, is it sometimes? Sure. But, you know, you, you either don't do business with those people, you don't involve yourself, or you maintain your ethics and you maintain your way of doing things, certainly without putting yourself out to, uh, to in any way be, be taken advantage of. So, no, you, you know, that's the in the movies and on television and, uh, you know, in the, in, in the media, you know, that's where there's all the stories about the people who do these bad things. And here's why Richard, because here's what doesn't sell uh, corporate CEO treats people. Well, uh, business makes lots of money by serving lots of people really well. Right. You know, uh, you look at people like, um, uh, who, who's the person I'm trying to think of her name, uh, Sarah Blakely, I think, the inventor of Spanx, who, who saw a need in the marketplace, okay? And she invented a way to fulfill this need, and she became one of the, the youngest self-made billionaires we've ever had. Was she being dog-eat-dog, dog, ruthless? No, she was finding a way to bring value to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I watch television shows here in the UK. We have uh, shows like Dragon's Den, I guess you would call it the Shark Tank right. in America. So very, uh, very similar. And we have shows like uh, The Apprentice. And I think it cultivates this um, image, doesn't it, that business is all yeah. about being cutthroat and, right. and getting ahead of that. That has, in my experience, has not been the case at all. No. And, you know, I mean, and again, it's a big world. It's not that there aren't people who do business that way, uh, but they tend to have to work a whole lot. You have to work a whole lot harder to make a lot of money when people don't know you and when people don't like you and when people don't trust you. Yeah. If you really want to do well, find a way to serve a lot of people and serve them well. 
Let's talk a little bit more about that. Your latest book is The Go-Giver Influencer. Uh, I read it in a single sitting, Bob. I absolutely loved it. I know you and I were talking just before we came on air and you you actually think this is your your best and most impactful book to date, I think. And I would absolutely agree with that. So thanks to you and John David Mann for producing another entertaining book full of really thought-provoking wisdom. Mm -hmm. It's a compelling story about the power of genuine influence in business and well beyond. Just before we jump into it, though, you've touched upon this already. Three of your books uh, are already out there, the Go-Giver books, are parables, sort of Mm -hmm. business stories. You're a big fan of the parable. Why do you think that speaks to people? I think stories connect with people. I think stories connect with people on a different level than how to, you know, all my, my previous books were all how to books. It was step one, step two, step three. And, and Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a lover. I love uh, how to books. I read them all the time. Okay. Um, but there's something about a parable, a story that's told that just, uh, you know, again, there's a different type of connection. And sometimes you can take a, a some how to information. And if you put it in the form of, a story, people are much more likely to receive it willingly. They're much more likely to take it in. It can sort of, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, there's an old saying that words that, uh, that come from the heart connect with the heart. And I think that's what parables do. And I, I know I myself have always loved reading parables. I've read them throughout the years and I've always, so I, th- I had thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals, which was one of my first books. And that was a how-to book. It wasn't how people who are, you know, who are entrepreneurs or who are in sales but never really felt comfortable with sales or with relationship building could learn how to build very strong, sustainable relationships where people felt good about them, where people knew them, liked them, trusted them, wanted to see them succeed. And you know, if we could take that basic premise and put that into a story, uh, and that's you know how we came up with the Go Giver. And you know, again, I'm just so thankful for John for uh, you know being able to to translate that <laughs> really in such a, a wonderful way that he did. Yeah, fantastic books and such uh, easy reads as well, entertaining and, you know, uh, thought-provoking as well. So thanks again. So back to the latest book, The Go-Giver Influencer. Now, you've been quoted as saying you can get the results you want while making the other person feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. And that quote, I think, Bob, actually is at the heart of this book. Uh, feel free to disagree with me if you don't see that no, the case. But I, I it, tell us more about what you mean by that quote. You can get the results you want by making the other person feel genuinely good. Well, I mean, there were really two ways to to influence someone when you think about it. And, and so first we have to go back and ask, what does influence really mean? How is it defined? And on a very, very basic level, we could define influence as simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Um, and, and, you know, you could do that through, through ordering someone, uh, compelling someone, especially if you're the boss, right? If you have a position of power and authority, you could compel them compliance, right? But do people really respond well to compliance? Now, they might do what they have to do if they're worried about losing their job or, or something, but they're probably not going to give it their best effort. And they're probably, as soon as you don't have that kind of authority over them, they're going to, you know, they're going to run right there and so forth. So, so that's, you know, one way to do or through trickery or through manipulation. Again, those are all forms of compliance and, and it's what we would call push kind of influence. What we believe influence really is, is pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to themselves and then to their ideas. And they do this not through through pushing their will on others, pushing their ideas on others or being pushy, but again, through 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 pull, um, through attracting others. Now, how do you do this, though? And that's the key. And this goes back now to to getting the results you want with everyone feeling great about themselves. Well, the the what we would call the genuine influencer, they question themselves uh, and they they question their own motives, making sure their focus is in the right place. They're able to move from an I or me focus to an 
other focus. So they might ask themselves, how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals, with their wants, with their needs, with their desires? How does what I'm asking this other person to do, how does it align with their values? And when we ask ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, um, Again, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate or coerce another person into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process. Now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment rather than trying to depend on some type of compliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that plays its, uh, that story plays itself out in the Go Giver Influence. And I don't want to spoil it for any of the listeners here because I want them to go mm-hmm. out and get the book. It's a fantastic read. You know, as I said yeah. earlier, I sat down and read it. Took me about two hours to sit and read it with a nice, a nice hot pot of uh, green tea. So, <laughs> Thank you. so one of the, the lessons that you share or one of the teachings that you share within the book, um, one of the secrets really to genuine influence is to master your emotions. Now, right. this really struck a chord with me. So joining the dots backwards in my own life, I've realized that through raising my own emotional intelligence has mm-hmm. been a key to my growth. And, and again, thank you up front, Bob, because a lot of this that I've learned about mastering my emotions is from your teachings, from your podcast, from your books and so on. So thank you you for that. Um, In fact, one of your older books, uh, Master Your Traits, Master Yourself, (laughs) going back quite some time here, aren't we? But uh, 13 Weeks to Creating Success in Business and Life, that really helped me a lot with this. So you really have got this back catalogue of uh, of fantastic (laughs) Thank you. But but back to mastering your emotions. How can people master their emotions? uh, And how does this actually help them in real well terms. Sure. Well, I mean, it's where it all starts because it's only when we can, when we're in control of ourselves, when we're in control of our emotions, that we're even in a position to be able to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. Uh, I think we all intuitively know that we, we tend to respect that person who, who, is on top of things and doesn't get easily annoyed, right? And, and it seems to always be in control of themselves. And yet how often do we uh, allow ourselves, do we let ourselves based on someone else, what someone else says or does, we allow them to, to push our emotional hot buttons and we cause ourselves to become frustrated or helpless or annoyed or angry and we say or do something that we know is totally counterproductive to what we, you know, we, we should be doing or, you know, to accomplishing what we want. Well, you know, why do we do this? Because we're human beings and as human beings, we are emotional creatures. Uh, We'd like to think we're logical and to a certain extent, of course, we are, but we're basically emotional creatures where, oh, we are emotion driven. We make major decisions based on emotion and then we back up those emotional decisions with logic. Uh, We rationalize, which basically means we tell ourselves rational lies. And we do this to justify that, you know, that thing we shouldn't have done, which we know well. So how do we how do we work on that? Well, Really, once we make the decision that we know that controlling our mastering our emotions is going to to work for us, is going to be able to help us, we first understand that we're not denying our emotions. We're not foregoing our emotions. Emotions are a wonderful part of life. Um, But we're going to make sure we're controlling them as opposed to they controlling us. Or as one of my great friends, Dandi Skumachi puts it, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car, right? You're at the wheel. Your emotions are, are in the passenger side, seatbelt fastened. And so uh, safety belt fastened. So one of the things we can do is if we know there are times where certain either events or people or situations push our buttons, then what we want to do is prepare for that and see that play out in our mind and see how we've handled it before and and upset ourselves and, and how that just doesn't feel very good. Now, play that out again and see that same person saying the same basic thing or the same type of situation. And now what I want you to do 
is I want you to imagine yourself just handling it beautifully. You respond rather than react. You are in total control of yourself. You're not bothered. You're annoyed. You have a feeling of serenity and peace of mind. You let the person finish saying whatever they say. You don't interrupt them. And then your response is, is genuine and it's kind and it's and don't worry about the exact words that those come later, but it's just the seeing yourself handling it like that. And then uh, feel what that feels like. And it's a great feeling. Now what I want you to do is rehearse that and practice it again and again, like an astronaut before they go up into space on a mission, they'll do hundreds and hundreds of simulations. Why? So that when they're finally up in space and this thing happens, uh, they've already been there. They've done that. They're prepared for it. They've been through it in their mind. Now, someone might say, well, it's not the exact same, but well, you know what? It's pretty close. And we know that the human mind can't distinguish between what has actually happened and what has been suggested to it. The unconscious, the subconscious can't distinguish between what's happened and, and what has been suggested to it, uh, you know, over and over again. And so then when this situation comes up again, and you, and, and as soon as it starts to manifest itself, it's like in your mind, boom, I know this. I've been practicing this. This is fine. I can handle this. And you, you, you go through it and you handle it beautifully. And then afterwards, I want you to take great pleasure in how you did that and, and know two things. One is if you can do it that time, you can theoretically do it every time. But the other thing is you won't do it right every time because you're a human being and I'm a human being and we're still going to mess up from time to time. But I'll tell you what, the difference this makes, and I'm saying within a, 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 within a process of a couple of weeks, you'll see an amazing difference with yourself and other people will see it within you as well. Your influence will be, grow, will be growing. And, you know, it really comes down to this. When you can control your own emotions and help others to work effectively within theirs, now your influence is ready to go sky high. I love it. I absolutely love it. And that's worked very well for me as I've uh, sort of raised my emotional intelligence over the years. Mm. So I, and the same sort of lines, but bear with me on this one, Bob, I'll share with you. At the age of 40, I got married a couple of years ago. And I remember at the time hearing lots of conventional wisdom from very well-meaning people who wanted me and my wife, Claire, to succeed in marriage. They said, marriage is all about compromise. But surprisingly, you say that whether it's a marriage or business or any relationship, compromise is not the right answer. Have, have I got that right? <laughs> well, there's a time and place for everything, of course. And, and there are times that compromise is certainly necessary. What we say, though, is we don't want compromise to be the first option or the most mm -hmm. desirable option. And here's why. As one of the mentors in the story told uh, the protege, because in this story there were two mentors and two protégés, and one of them said that the word compromise comes from the Latin for nobody actually gets that what they want and everyone comes away unhappy. Now, that's not really what it means, the Latin root, <laughs> but it might as well, because when you think about it, compromise by its very definition is lose-lose. Both people are giving up something they want, okay, in order to kind of get along or go along or keep the peace or whatever. Again, time and place for that. There's no question about it. But that's not, but lose-lose isn't ever what we really want to go for. Instead, rather than compromise, we say go for collaboration. Collaboration is win-win. Collaboration is both people get what they want because both people are, or at least the one person who takes responsibility for doing so, is discovering what both people want and how both people can get more of what they want, okay? So, you know, collaboration is one plus one equals three. So again, is there ever a need for compromise? Of course, but it's, it's not the first option. We would say rather than go for compromise or rather than aim for compromise, aim for collaboration. Mm, understood, understood. Now, there was something else I picked up in the book. You say there's one sentence that's guaranteed to prevent misunderstandings. 
come on, Bob, really? <laughs> Tell me more yeah. about this. <laughs> well, again, it's, it's always in context. And this has to do with uh, belief systems, which is a part of stepping into the other person's shoes, which, you know, stepping in, stepping into the other person's shoes kind of sounds easy because we hear that all the time. But it's really not necessarily easy because most of us have different size feet. Right. So we can't necessarily literally we can't step into another person's shoes, but figuratively, it means we can't step into another person's mind because we don't know what they're thinking because we come from different belief systems, different ways of life, different perspectives, different paradigms, different ways of seeing the world. So there's a good chance you don't know what that other person's thinking or experiencing and they don't know what you're thinking or. But as human beings, we tend to think that other people see the world basically the same way we do. How could it be any different? It's all we know. So that's why we say that what you need, what we need to do to, to step into another person's shoes is to ask questions and then listen. Listen not just to, to speak, which a lot of people do, right? That's surface listening. We're listening while, just to, to wait our, our, our turn to speak and get our, our point in. Instead of listening with your ears, listen with your eyes, listen with your posture, listen, one of the mentors says, with the back of your neck. In other words, with your entire being. So what does this have to do with that one, one clarifying question to, to make sure a, a misunderstanding doesn't occur? It means that when someone says something, Unless you're absolutely sure you know what they mean, and you probably don't, and I don't, and no one does, ask them to clarify. So let me just give you an example. There's a, a project at work, and there's a team. Uh, it's a, a team of four people. And the project manager, the team leader, calls everyone together on Monday morning and says, hey, there's a, been a change. Uh, we need to get the uh, new client's project done as soon as possible. Okay, so let's get started. Boom. Now it's Wednesday afternoon, end of day, calls everyone together. Only one person has their, their work done for it. What's the matter? I said as soon as possible. Well, what does that really mean? To one of them, that means drop everything you're doing and get it done. Okay, right now. To another person from, who came from another team, as soon as possible meant, well, continue, for, complete what you're doing now first and then right away get to this next one. To the other person uh, who came from a whole different company on the team he was on, uh, as soon as possible meant nothing. <laughs> Just give it lip service and then keep doing what you're doing. So you've got four different people with four different definitions of as soon as possible. So instead, when, this, when the team leader said, uh, we need this, need to get this, you need to get your work in as soon as possible. The question that one of the team members could have asked is, Dave or, or Susan, uh, just for my own clarification, when you say as soon as possible, is there a, a specific day or, or time you had in mind? And then the team leader could have said, yes, end of day, Wednesday, five o'clock. Now you'd have had one definition and the misunderstanding wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. um, now you might say, well, why didn't the team leader just say end of day, Wednesday, five o'clock? And my answer is, I don't know. Why don't people communicate what they mean instead of just saying things? We just assume people know what we mean. Sometimes I'm as guilty as anyone else. So, you know what I'm saying? So the, 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 the question is always just to ask the person to clarify, to define their terms, but you do it in a kind, tactful way, not, well, what do you mean by as soon as possible? It's, just for my own clarification, or just to make sure we're all on the same wavelength, when you say X, you know, what exactly do you, you know what I'm saying? And so when, when you start using that, that will, uh, that will take care of about 99.9% .9 of the misunderstandings uh, that you ever have. Yeah, and had a real world scenario with this, Bob, uh, just a, a few months ago with a, an IT uh, client of mine, uh, phoned me up on a Friday afternoon and said, Richard, I'm in a bit of a pickle. Client has uh, said to me, uh, we need this work doing urgently. Um, but I'd already promised uh, my wife and kids that we would go away this weekend to do some. And this was on a Friday afternoon. He said, I feel like I'm in between a rock and a hard place. What should I do? And uh, yeah, I, I said to him, well, what does urgently mean? I said, uh, pick up the phone, go back to the clients and say, just for my own clarification, when you say urgently, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and you'll laugh at this, but the answer came back, oh, um, before the end of the month. 
Whereas my client was thinking it's got to be done before the end of the day and I've got to give my weekend up and I've got to let my What a wonderful explanation. What a wonderful explanation. And, and that's why so often when people on our team, when we're speaking about something, we talk about what a client has said, not just about time, but about any kind of thing. We always ask, do you know exactly what they meant? And if the answer is no, we either call or email them and ask. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? But we, we're often asking, do we know exactly what they mean by that? Mm. And that what you asked him, you just gave him great advice. What boy, uh, fantastic. Well, I've learned from the best there, Bob. And uh, <laughs> something else that I picked up, uh, and I've explained this to, to other people, but I always get this question, and I'm pretty sure you do too. One of the simplest but biggest uh, pieces of wisdom I've learned from you is the ability to say no to requests in the way that's both kind but effective. Um, for people who are perhaps not familiar with what I mean, can you perhaps share that answer um, with them? How do you go about saying no? Sure. Well, you know, we're often asked to do things that for whatever reason we would rather not do or don't feel as though we have the time or energy or inclination or, or, or what have you, you know, people, people say, well, as a go giver, aren't you supposed to just do everything forever? No, of course not. As a go giver, you're probably going to be very successful. And the more successful you get, the more people are going to ask you to do things. They're going to take time away from doing the things you need to be doing. So no, you need to say no more than you need to say yes, a lot more, but you do it in a way that's kind and tactful and respectful and honors the other person. Uh, this can be difficult to do and saying no can be difficult to do because by and large, we want to please other people, uh, which is fine un unless it gets in the way of, you know, doing what we need to be doing and, and so forth. So through the years, there's been, you know, different ways, uh, different suggestions on, on how to say no. And one of them's become very, very popular, which I find to be totally counterproductive, is when I hear someone giving the advice, well, no is a complete sentence. Oh my gosh, I cringe when I hear that because it's one of those things, I, I know what they mean. They mean, don't feel like you have to, and of course, absolutely. But there's a difference between not feeling like you have to be self-sacrificial and being rude to someone. So, you know, when I see people and they hear that advice and they and they they nod their heads and I'm like, from now on, I'm just going to say no to really. Is that what you're going to do? Right. Someone asks you to do something like serve on a committee. It's a compliment that they've asked. They obviously think highly enough of you or what have you. And you're just going to say no. You know, you're not going to do that. It's, it's, it's rude. You're going to turn a, a friend into an enemy and uh, and maybe keep that person from ever asking you to do anything with them again. And you might want to keep the door open, but the main reason you're not going to say no like that is because it's incongruent with your value system of treating people with kindness and respect. So I, I, I don't think that advice is, is good advice. Now, another piece of advice I hear people say is, well, just kind of, you know, say, make up a little fib. Like I don't have time. The challenge with that is, is a, a couple fold. One is, you know, it's not that you don't have time. It's that you don't have the desire to do it. Uh, or you have, uh, you have more desire to, to keep the time for something else than you do for that. In other words, as human beings, we don't have time for anything. We make time to do those things we value doing, right? Things are a trade-off. And so we, so we know that saying, I don't have the time, but then also remember you're setting yourself up for that person you know, because they've heard people say, I don't have the time and they can answer that. And when they persuasively share with you why time will not be an issue, now you've either got to come clean and admit that, well, it's not really that. I just don't want to do it. Now that person's going to be a little mad. You're going to feel a little embarrassed. Or when they say, when you say, I don't have the time, they can say, oh, well, you know what? That's fine, but we're going to do it again in three months. I'll call you then. Okay. Now you've got right. So I, I don't think it's productive to do that. So instead, here's a way of saying no, that you can use the rest of your life. Um, and it's, it, it, it's kind, it's tactful, and, and everyone will feel good about it. Um, so let's, uh, again, let's just use the generic example. Someone asks you to serve on a committee that for whatever reason you don't want to do. So what you would say, and there's a couple different ways of solving, I'll give you my way and then give you a couple suggestions. It, it simply sounds like this, Richard. Thank you so much. While it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked. That's it. 
Okay. So, or it could be, thank you so much for asking. While it's not something I choose to take on, uh, please know I'm just so, you know, very grateful that you would think to ask, you know, however you want to do it that way. But my way is my words are, thank you for asking. While it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked. What you've done is with kindness and tact, you thank them, you, you know, let them know that you were saying no to it, but you also let them know how honored you were to even be thought of and to be, so you, you honor to them. What you didn't do is give them an excuse to hang on to and to be able to come back and answer. And so if you'll just do that, I'm telling you, it will, it will set you free. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a bit of follow-up there, isn't there? Because I've shared this with people and they've said, Oh, people then come on and go, Oh, come on, Bob, come on, just do it. Yeah. So here's what, here's what you do. So they say, Oh, come on, we really need it. Or it won't take you know, whatever they say. And what you do is just very patiently with no defensiveness. Okay. Just let them fit. Don't interrupt them. Just let them finish what they're saying. The only look on your face would be one of kindness or compassion, but not of defensiveness. Wait till they finish and then just uh, just say, oh, I appreciate it. I'd rather not. But again, thank you so much. Boom. You just do that and one or two and just stay with it. Okay. And you'll have retrained them that, you know, they can ask you and that's fine. But that when you say no, you know, the answer is no. Fantastic. I love it. Well, I'm glad you didn't say no to this interview, Bob. Uh, I wouldn't want to say no to this interview. (laughs) I was very, I am very excited about speaking to you and I'm not alone. So I shared on social media that you and I were going to have this conversation. We had a flood of lovely, lovely responses. You've got a really uh, big following in the IT industry. Well, thank you speaks well to that industry as well. Um, some questions that, that came in, if I may uh, throw them out there. Um, a good friend, yeah. Mark, Mark Matthews, um, uh, throws the question out. He says, how do you deal with doing a good turn for others and that good turn not being acknowledged? And the specific example Mark gave was he sent books to people out of kindness and they've never thanked him. Um, how, how do you reconcile that? How, do you, how would you deal with that situation? Sure. And that's a great question from Mark. It, it, there, and it's, there's a couple different levels to this. One is, you know, why don't some people say thank you? Uh, I don't know. People are people. <laughs> uh, what we need to do in this case is, is not be emotionally attached to their saying thank you. Uh, and, you know, it, it, in the... Um, uh, and in his his uh, tweet, when he wrote the question, he he said he was pretty sure he he knew the answer to that, and I, I and I think he probably knows that is the answer. But oh, Mark, Mark's a big go giver himself. Yeah, but uh, sometimes it is difficult because we know we would thank someone, but here's the thing: people don't necessarily do what we do, and they don't necessarily have the same values for certain things. Now, there's also one other aspect I want to talk about, though, in this. Mark might feel he's giving that person great value by sending that person a book, but that person may not see that as being of value, which, by the way, doesn't mean the person still shouldn't say thank you. But Mark, because Mark probably loves to read, like I love to read, okay, and you love to read, so we would think giving someone a book, because we tend to give gifts as we would like to receive gifts. There was a great book on that, The Five Love Languages. You may have read, uh, I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's one of the best books ever written. Uh, The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman, I think his name is. And it talks about how people receive love or and so forth. And, and again, he's talking more about a, a, a family loving relationship, but it goes to any, anybody, but here's the thing. Value is always in the eyes of the beholder. This is key. It's not what we would find value valuable. It's not what we think someone else should find valuable. It's what they do. So the best thing for Mark to do is on an individual basis find out what that person values and, and give them that. Mm, and this, this applies to sales situations. It oh, applies to sure. so many things. We can assume Everything. that people <laughs> find value in something that we value, and that's not the case at all. They exactly. see things from their own perspective, don't they? This is why in the sales process, discovery is the first part. And to me, it's the most important part. And I learned this from one of my mentors, Harry Brown, that, you know, because again, what is sales? Discovering what the other person wants, needs, and desires 
and helping them to get it. We may find certain a certain value in our product or service that the other person doesn't see, but they might see something else that we don't see. Again, because we're looking at it from our unique viewpoint, vantage point, not theirs. The key is we've got to discover theirs. Once we know what they want, need, and desire, only then can we match the benefit of our product or service with their want, need, and desire. Lovely. Um, another question that came in over social media from Steve McGowan, who is a fantastic go-giver himself. And I would say, I know you're a fan of Dunkin' Donuts, aren't you? And the, uh, and, and the, uh, the, the, uh, uh-huh. the foods and the coffee that they serve there. Steve owns uh, some burger restaurants that are doing, uh, the Beefy Boys that are doing incredible burgers. So if you ever get the opportunity, Bob, check those out. Um, but the question from Steve was, what's the biggest impact you've seen from something you consider to be a really small action. So I think to paraphrase Steve's question is, perhaps you've done something a kind term for somebody, you don't think twice about it, you may not even notice or remember it, but it's had massive ramifications. Well, I remember, and it's a great question by Steve. Um, I remember, here's what it is, Richard. I think it's just doing what you do because you know it's the right thing to do without attachment to the results, but knowing that if you're doing the right things, the right results are going to happen, not because of any kind of magic or, or anything, but because of simple cause and effect. When you're constantly providing value to others, again, in a way that they value, you're creating what we call a benevolent context for your success. Um, and I'm and so in answer to his question, I think of a time, and this is I just hit me that goes back early in my speaking career when I was really getting my feet wet and I was trying to get, uh, and I was, there was a person who I had connected with at the national speakers association, uh, who talked on a fascinating subject. He was a really a fascinating person. And I remember I used to, when I was writing articles, this is the days before the internet and everything, right? Before, you know, and so you wrote articles for trade publications and magazines as a way of positioning yourself. And I'd write for a lot of these trade professional magazines, but then I'd, I'd always look at, think of people who I knew who I thought could add value to the magazine. And so I'd refer the editor to that person. And I remember with this particular person who I'm talking about, he had written several articles for them and had gotten some business from it. And again, I just did it because I thought it could provide value to him, to the magazine, to the, you know, what have you. And I remember at one point, uh, and it was a couple of years later, I was trying to get into a uh, big organization. And not only could I not get my front, my foot into the door, I couldn't even locate the door. And it came to my attention that he, uh, at one time, they were a big client of his. And, and I asked him, and I, I didn't ask him for a referral. I didn't ask. I just said to him, could you give me some advice on how I could even know who to contact? And I'll, you know, do the legwork. And I'll, he goes, nonsense. I'll have them call you. And the decision maker called me on the phone the next day and said, so-and-so said, I needed to call you and have you do some work with us. And that became a hugely lucrative client for me over the next three or four years. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I've, I've often said it's uh, human nature, isn't it, to, to want to reciprocate, to look for opportunities to reciprocate sure. there. So give without attachments and, uh, but, you know, don't expect things to come back to you, but don't be surprised when they do. And I think that's a great example there. So, so we're coming to the end of our time together, Bob. There's a couple of things I've got to ask you just before we go. The first yeah. on a personal level, I know you're a big animal lover and a supporter of animal charities as yeah. well. Um, same here. We've got a rescued cat. Tilly for oh, guinea pigs, some zebra danio fish. What does the Berg household look like in terms of furry friends at the moment? <laughs> uh, actually, because I'm still traveling uh, more than I'd like, uh, and I live in a condo area without a big yard, uh, I only have a, a cat from the shelter. Oh. And so that's it's just Calvin the cat and, uh, and me right now. So, uh, but I, I grew up with dogs and have always had dogs and just, you know, love all, I, I love all animals. 
yeah and i've read about your um your support for animal charities and things so thank thank you for all that you do there and i should say animals play a part don't they in the go-giver influence oh very and we won't give that away because it's important for people to read the story but if you're an animal lover you'll get a kick out john and his wife are also very big animal lovers and so we really you know wanted to uh to make animals and how much we appreciate them and how much how much value they bring to humanity we wanted to make that a big part of the book yeah, yeah, I love it. Now, you and I have been Twitter friends for many, many years. We've got a number of mutual friends, including Laura Stewart. Um, listeners should check out Laura's fantastic oh, podcast on leadership. She is, she's wonderful. Uh, and I, I mentioned earlier on a, a great mutual friend and a fanta- you know a wonderful influence on my life. He's been on this podcast before, uh, Arlen Sorensen. Oh, Arlen is is truly one of my heroes. He is he is a magnificent uh, human being. Yeah. And and it was Arlen who introduced me to your work, Bob, many, many years ago. As I said earlier, when you spoke at a HTG event in Dallas, Texas. Uh Uh, Yeah, I know you can remember that one. Now, I can't let you go today without asking you about something that happens there. Um, You got on stage. Well, first of all, unlike a lot of speakers that I know who sort of sweep in, do the presentation and leave immediately, you were there for a good portion of the day, getting to know people, chatting and, um, you know, uh, sharing your wisdom with them, which was fantastic. You then got on stage and you name checked, I'm going to say a dozen people. It was probably more than that, but not just uh, a dozen people but uh, that you knew, but people you'd met for the very first time that day. Yeah. And then you shared what you'd learned about them. And you said, hey, Richard, love it to meet you. I hope your wife Claire is good and Ben Ryan. And, 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 and this went on. I was absolutely flabbergasted. It felt to me at the time as though you'd remembered absolutely everybody in an audience and there were some 500 people there. Um, how on earth do you cultivate such an amazing memory? You know, like anything else, it's a system because uh, I at one time had a very untrained memory and I could not remember names for the life of me. And I could tell you some of the embarrassing things that happened as a result, but it's just too embarrassing to even share. And I was at a seminar once because I you know, love going to seminars and, and learning and studying and learning new things. And there was a guy there who... Um, well, I did a, you know, a memory demonstration. So I bought his, uh, back then it was tapes. This is how long ago it was. <laughs> yes. And I remember I immersed myself in them, but I, and I just practiced and it's just system. And you know, what is a system? A system is simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how to principles. The key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then you know you just need to do A and eventually you'll get the desired results of B. So I just learned the system. I learned the memory system that the guy taught. And uh, eventually I started teaching it. And I did that for quite a few years, actually, when I first started speaking. And I you know, wrote a book on it and had CDs on it and different things, but I, that's not a real big part of what I do, but it, it's always kind of, it was always fun to, you know, I'm not doing that as much anymore because I'm, you know, as I get older, it's just, it's hard work to, you know, meet an audience and remember people's. <laughs> so, but, but what I do is I'll, I'll meet the ones that I meet and, you know, refer to them during the program, but I don't have everybody stand up like I used to and go through the, you know, the audience, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's fun to do. And it really is a confidence builder when you know someone's name, when you remember their name, but, but it's also very important that when you remember someone's name and you see them, whether it's 30 minutes later or the next day or whatever, that when you call them by name, you know, if you're one-on-one and you see them, that you reintroduce yourself. Yes. Okay. So you say, you know, hi, Dave, Bob Berg, we met yesterday at the so-and-so, you know, because you never want to make another person feel badly or feel defensive that they didn't remember your name, which they probably didn't. So you always want to give someone the out or the back door. So when I say Bob Berg, we met, you know, and then they can say, oh, sure, of course, Bob, I know you're, you know. And so, again, it's just a matter of, you know, and again, it's another form of influence. Just, you know, I think really what it comes down to, Richard, is 95% of influence is simply how you make people feel about themselves. Yeah. 
I absolutely love it. Well, when I first saw you present, it created a great memory for me, Bob. This podcast, you spending, taking time out of your busy day and schedule to come on has created another great memory Uh, for me. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, (laughs) Before we go, if anybody wants to continue the conversation with you, I know you're very active on social media. Um, You respond to all the messages you get. I've observed (laughs) that as well. Uh, Or indeed, if anybody wants to seek out the Go-Giver Influencer or any of the Go-Giver books, you're podcast or any of the other great work that you share how can they go about doing that uh i would just say to go to the go giver without the hyphen thegogiver.com and just scroll down the page and you'll see a bunch of goodies you can you can read the first couple chapters of most of the books uh and the podcast is there our facebook live show and the uh we have a go giver entrepreneurs academy we usually have a couple people from the uk that seem to come every time our next one's in january and uh so there's all sorts of resources uh there for people if they'd like to stop by the gogiver.com but it, you know it's been really a joy and an honor and when i say honor i mean h o h o n o u r very I'm, good yeah uk way and uh <laughs> I, you know last time i spoke in england i remember i spoke to a few people i didn't quite get what they said you know i don't i'm not sure i speak English and so but uh but it was it was a blast lots of lots of wonderful people there my UK mates your UK mates you're gonna have a a lot more UK mates I would imagine (laughs) after this podcast goes out Bob thank you it's been an absolute honor and privilege and again thank you for all the wisdom that you shared over the years it's had a profound effect on me personally as well as professionally cannot thank you enough you're a great man thank you for the work that you do thank you Richard cheers Thanks for listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners. You can find the show notes and bonus content for this interview, along with dozens of other interviews with IT business leaders over at www.tubblog.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing the show over at iTunes. It helps the show reach new listeners. Tune in for our next episode when Richard speaks to his latest guest for more valuable insight into the world of business and IT. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak with you next episode. Have a great day. G'day, Nigel Moore from the Tech Tribe here again. Now, I hope you enjoyed the episode and there were some rocking takeaways to go and implement in your business. You are going to implement them, right? good. So I promised at the beginning of the episode to give you the super quick pitch on what the Tech Tribe is and why you should come and join us. I created the Tech Tribe because it breaks my tech geek heart when I see good people struggling to run their IT support business, especially because that used to be me. Although the good person part is quite debatable, the struggle part was very real for many years. And in a nutshell, I created the Tech Tribe to help MSPs like myself back then get access to the tools, templates, training, and resources that I wish I had when I was traveling my MSP journey. Plus, it's all backed up with a supportive community and expert coaching from not only me, but from the fearless host of this podcast, Sir Richard Tubby himself, who is one of our tribal elders. Now, instead of me babbling on more about why you should join us, I thought I'd read out two quick notes from some of the hundreds of MSPs already inside our tribe. First up from Tom, great dude from the United States. He says, I've been in Nigel's tech tribe for almost a year now. Best investment I've made to date. And secondly, from Chris, one of our Aussie tribers who says, your energy tools, techniques, tips, and recommendations have proven invaluable. And whilst I'm not making millions yet, things are on the up and up. Please keep up the good work. So if you want to join the tribe and get access to all of the juicy goodness, simply head on over to thetechtribe.com slash tubtalk and check out the super duper special deal for tubtalk listeners only. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary 
library of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's gogo.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.